Simon has texted. I will give him a thumbs up. Uh, okay, yes. There we go. Right, he should record. I mean, he should call. Hello. This is a podcast in which two friends talk about the pleasures, absurdities, and imperfections of being human. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlifing. And now for the weather. What's the weather like? It's very sunny here today. It's all like that. It's very beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful spring weather we're having. Yeah. A bit changeable yesterday with lots of kind of rain and sunny and rain and sunny. Yeah, we had the same. God, we're exciting. But we are. We are. What a um. What a what a. You've. I got an, a message from you during the week, saying, "I've got something to talk about. Can you add it to the list?" Oh God, yeah. And do you remember what it was? I remember exactly what it was. Have you lost interest in it? No, it dropped me into a deep pit of shame. Oh. Subject normal. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was really, really, yeah. I I did something of which I am horribly ashamed. Really? Yeah. So, of course, I want to share that with the hundreds and hundreds of people who listen to this podcast. Because (sighs) nothing is better than purging a sense of shame so you know you can be judged by people you've never met yes that's true isn't it i mean i can i can judge you as well mm, yeah also people that i do know can judge me and then those that have my text number can send me a message to go god i can't believe you did that what a dick yeah yeah um you're dropped yeah exactly cancelled with two l's oh is there a difference it's normally um, with two l's isn't it I think in America they just spell it with one L because they are... Um, yeah, more economical with language. You also had some stuff that you wanted to put on the list is the, that that we uh, haven't touched on. And let's be clear, uh, when we talk about a list that... Um, <laughs> it's a notional list of things that we vaguely remember to sort of go... Um, oh. So, yes, just to be clear, we do not have a list of things to talk about. Although, I do. Mm, I, you I do. I keep a list of possible things that um, that happen that I think mm, maybe that would be interesting to talk about. And you said you had two things that you wanted to to toss into the basket of conversation. Did I? Yeah, you did. Can you remember what they are? I um, I'd have to look at my list. Oh, yours is an actual written down list. Mine is just a, a, a scattered collection of neurons misfiring. Oh right, I love the sound of those misfiring neurons though. Well, there's one I can remember. Lil and I went and saw a film. We went and saw a film. It was a kind of in a, an Italian film festival here in London. And there are two parts to the story. And it's called Tre Piani, or Three Floors. And it's by a very famous uh, Italian director called Nanni Moretti. It's quite possible that you've seen Nanni Moretti films. They're always, they're, they tend to be a little bit wacky. 
they're sort of dramas, but they're always got a slightly, uh, I would call it, think of it as a sort of an Italian sense of humour. I don't know what I mean by that, except there's just a little bit sort of visually uh, funny or a bit um, uh, uh Strange things happen. Anyway, and it was, the, and they had two of the actors came to uh, the cinema. Oh, and there was a sort goodness. of Q and A afterwards. Yes, and one of the actors was a name as a guy called Ricardo Ricardo Scamarcio, who's again very well known, and also a woman called Alba Rowaka, who's even I would say she's an amazing, amazing actor, um, and she and. Lil's a bit of a fan and I'm a bit of a fan and so we we're quite excited but she spent the entire time hiding behind him with a mask on um, because she was starting filming on a new film anyway they got up on stage and uh, they before the film as well as after the film and Ricardo Scamacho who I've seen in many films and always quite liked um, was a total dick he was so on he was so performing and so just talking and just not letting people finish. And he was, it, it was just so, um, it was like a kind of a, a sort of bravado display of masculinity of someone who's used to being liked and used to performing. And it was truly painful the way he didn't let Alva just get on with what it is that she was talking about. And it really, really, it, it totally ruined the film. And also, I think I don't think I could ever watch a film with him in it again. It was one of those, you know, situations where you 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 get a sense of an actor in real life and go, oh, <laughs> it's disappointing, at the very least. And so that that happened. Uh, it's a long story. Maybe you can cut it to make it make me sound much more intelligent in the story, much better than it is. Um, no, I think I'll leave it exactly as, and then make sure that I sound pithy later on. Thank you. Okay, good. And. Um, and then on the way home, we happened to be sitting just in front of two women who would have been in their 40s, one from Spain, one from Italy, um, both talking with quite heavy, heavily accented English. And their entire conversation was about, um, one of them was talking about a man that she really liked and who was married. And her conversation was about, or their conversation was really fixed on what she could do in her life to make him happier. Oh, God, that's so sad. And it was clear that it, from, you got from the conversation that he was in a marriage that he was not going to finish, um, mm -hmm. had children, and yet she was... Uh, her, the language she was using was all about um, he was shining his light on her, if you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just made me think a lot about, it just made me think about, uh, uh, well, men and women. What did it make you think about? It made me think about how deep, oh, let's take an example. If you think of the songs that you and I listened to in the 1980s, almost mm -hmm. all sung by men and almost all about either men desiring women or men being desired by women. Mm -hmm. That's 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 pretty much pop music. Uh, yeah. The pop music, not only that we listen to, but our our families, our, our parents listen to. Or And and I, it just, you know, it made me think about just how deep and how fundamental that kind of way of thinking about the relationships between, I'm talking about heterosexual men and women here and how those, how those roles, they require no energy effectively to fall into does it make you tired oh god that's a good question 
it makes I think I often confuse tiredness and sadness. Mm. It makes me feel sad, like d- deeply saddened. But I don't and so yeah, it, it like I feel my shoulders kind of droop. Not least because I'm not I'm not ussing theming as we used to talk about. I'm very much aware of how much I'm inculcated, indoctrinated into that way of uh, way of being. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Anyway, I wonder what you think. Does it make you feel tired? I guess assume so, given that's the question. You know, that yeah, it makes me feel tired. I think I think I've come out of sad into just really really weary because um because i just don't know i don't know where to put okay um i live with um i live with a woman uh who i care about deeply and i have reported to me from her experiences that she has in the world and it, it exhausts me and I can't imagine what it would be like to carry that in your actual body, to be the person whom it sits on rather than the person who it's reported to. So I just, I, I've gone past sad to just weary because I don't know, I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to affect a change. I don't, it just feels so endemic. And while I can feel positive about some of the displays and behaviours that I see in people who are significantly younger. Yeah. It's not, you know, it doesn't run across the board and there's still a lot of old men (laughs) and old women, um, older, who continue to conform to a particular type of behaviour that just makes me not really know what to do one of the, the um these two women um and one of the things she said was um emotions don't last only when i'm dancing <laughs> i didn't quite know what she meant i mean i think she was talking about the idea of that kind of sort of romantic love and um and this this the the, the highness of that kind of uh love between people and um i'm going to miss that about london about people's conversations on buses it's um truly uh it's it's special eavesdropping <laughs> but i don't want to yeah i don't it's um i That's i'm hoping that background. was jeffrey yeah <laughs> that was jeffrey he is similarly communicating Exhausted. a sense of deep ennui yeah i think about um you know, I think about that. You know, I'm sure that uh, police song, "Every Breath You Take," and um, like that is a very famous song, and a song that's still, I imagine, played an enormous amount. Like it's a song that's just, but it's it's really stalky and horrible. Like it's really, yeah. and but it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me when it came out. You know, when I bought that album, Synchronicity, in 1980, whatever it was, three perhaps, and. Um, it just never occurred to me that the ways in which that language was seeping into me. I'm sure you, I'd love to hear you do a sting falsetto. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, 
it's less of a falsetto and more of a strangulation. Yes, it does. It's that kind of a noise, isn't it? It's not a. It's not about. It's not about going up into your head register. It's just about sounding strangulated. And he has a very weird ooh noise when he sings, doesn't he? I don't know what you mean by an ooh noise. He's he he overpronounces the his O's and his U's. They they kind of he pushes his mouth into like a, a very strange bottom shape when he goes. Oh, oh really? Uh, you you go and anybody feel free to go and watch Sting sing, and and you will not be able to not think of a kind of a prolapsing bumhole when you see his mouth make that shape. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, everybody, that I've given you two mental images that you didn't need. Sting and prolapse. I, I couldn't be more apologetic in this moment. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, hmm. it does remind me of a, a, a very dear friend, an artist friend in Melbourne who was, uh, I don't know, I went round to his place one day, he goes, ah, oh, I've been paint. He was painting outside or something, and someone had a radio on, and there was they'd been playing a whole lot of Sting songs. And he goes, "I think about Sting is everything rhymes." <laughs> yeah, I I I dare listeners to listen to any Sting song or any Police song, and the rhyming is so painful. It's and, and the thing is, ever since then, I haven't. I've because I really used to like Sting. No question. I you know I went and saw him in concert in New York City and whatever it was in 1991. And and but now every time I hear it, all I hear is these just jangly, terrible rhymes. Like they're painful. They're truly like, painful. Like Mr. Khrushchev said, I will bury you. I don't subscribe to that point of view. Exactly. It's such an ignorant thing to do, but do the rushes of the children do. Two. And the thing is, in each one of those, you can now mentally imagine a prolapsing bumhole singing the word. Mr. Khrushchev says I can prolapsing bumhole here. I don't subscribe to his point of prolapsing bumhole here. It's such an ignorant thing to prolapsing bumhole here. But do the Russians love their children? Prolapsing bumhole here. And that's that's just the shape that you will have in your head of rhymes. Oh, oh, I, st- oh I still like that song, Every Breath You Take. Is it, isn't that a weird... That's also... I'm going to just say that just because it's, it's sort of the... <laughs> the <laughs> Um, Sorry. I mean, it's. I guess talking about a prolapsing bumhole, it's been on. It's been on the cards, hasn't it? It's been on the horizon. We're getting it's been to the riding, edge. It's been riding towards the. <laughs> but um, I. J- that's the other thing about the kind of. Oh, I guess that. I guess. Hmm. Let's go back to every step you take, every e- breath you e- take, every move you every make, every breath you take. I'll be watching you. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I know, I know. It seems that there is there is something inside of that about expectation, expectation that 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 a dogged persistence will eventually yield a result, and maybe that's the thing that. Lots of you know films and books and songs reaffirm they reinforce them that if we just keep plugging away, that no becomes a yes. Yeah, and that I think is maybe. I think that f- for me, it's 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 that that worries me 
that we have got so many romantic products, quote-unquote romantic products, Mm. that say, if you just keep at it, they will change their mind. It's wooing them. Yes. Not it's harassing them. Not that it's, you know, this is the greatest love story ever told. And, you know, it's it's not. It's... I'm not going to take no for an answer. I know that you will turn around. Oh, my God. Eventually you'll say yes. Yeah, and it's, I think, I think also the stuff that's in the air about, you know, the mm. idea of, of being put in the friend zone. And I don't think we had a, I don't think we had language for that when I was younger, the idea of a friend zone. Yeah, we yeah, but we, we absolutely we say just have... friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah we're just say, friends. I just want to yeah. be. I want to be just friends with you. Yeah, was yeah, to, unrequited. To yeah, yeah, unrequited. Exactly. But I think again, there is the sense there that there are these narratives that oh, but you know, you keep choosing the wrong guy, and you, you never see me. You never see me, <laughs> and I could be so good for you. It's like mate, it's like it's like you've been reading my just... CV. <laughs> <laughs> but it is just one of those things where you, I find myself going. They did see you. They told you in no uncertain terms. Just want to be your friend. Yeah, mm. They're not that into you. It's okay. Move yeah, that's on. that's the messy bit where it's where we don't get told that it's okay. Yeah, but, I know because we have all of these stories and these songs, like you know, every breath you take at the at a very stalky end of the spectrum, or even just like pretty in pink, um, yeah, so the nineteen eighty six. Uh, Howard Deutsch directed John Hughes written and produced film starring Molly Ringwald and Andrew Mm, McCarthy and John Cryer now in the original cut John Cryer Ducky Dale gets the girl I'm so glad they recut the ending so that Andrew McCarthy who was a douchebag throughout and didn't deserve her the better answer would be for her to go off with the woman who ran the, uh, the record store her and Annie Potts would have been a much better couple. Yeah. Um, but of the because this was, you know, 1980, I'm going to say six, I think it was six or seven, because this was, you know, heteronormative teen fair, we knew there had to be a, a heterosexual coupling. I'm glad they went with Andrew McCarthy for all of his faults and all of the errors that he made because Ducky Dale, he's just a creepy fucker. <laughs> 1986 1986 he's just a creepy fucker who doesn't take no for an answer who is overly familiar and he is if you watch that film again it's hard to not go oh christ alive sex pest sex pest Uh, it's funny. I'm just uh, just looking at the lyrics to "Every Breath You Take," and there's nothing about it that would imply that it's heterosexual or that it's a man speaking about a woman, except that it's Sting singing it. Yeah. There's there's nothing in it as if Sting couldn't sing about from the perspective of a woman. Ew, it's a can of worms, Simon Ellis. We didn't get to any of your list. Do you think you'll remember it? <sighs> I probably will. I'll just I'll just I'll mark it. Maybe. I'll just mark it to see if it's worth returning to. And also it might be quicker. I don't know. Because um, I don't want to keep us going. I was on a train 
got back from Exeter last week and I had been wearing um, a pair of denim dungarees and a yellow t-shirt. It's an outfit I really like. It makes it gives me joy to dress, to, to wear these denim dungarees and a, and a, and a bright t-shirt. It brings happiness to me. And, and it is a beautiful, it's, and, but it, it has a certain amount of that, um, what are those uh, uh, characters that are... And this is exactly, that is exactly what happened. Oh, really? So, yeah. So... I am aware there is something a little... Uh, the Minions from the D- Despicable Me films. That's right. And I know there is something sort of infantilizing about me wearing that particular outfit. But nevertheless, it just... As you know, clothes bring me joy. Yeah. And I was on the train and I was just getting off at Totnes. Um, and this guy came up to me and he said, Oh, wow. Uh, excellent Minions cosplay really loudly and really in my face wow yeah and i just looked at him and i didn't say anything and i just turned away and i walked into the vestibule oh you're getting on the train i was getting off the train i was getting off it was just pulling in and then he said i don't think you understood what i'm saying you look like a minion wow he doubled down Uh uh-huh then i went "Uh uh-huh and turned, and then he said, from the film, Despicable Me, you look like a human version of a minion. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> and then I said, so I turned to him and I said, listen, I understand what you are saying. I am choosing not to respond to you. I didn't invite a conversation with you. I don't wish to engage. Wow. And then he said... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Farewell. 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 And got off the train. And I was, my blood was boiling. I bet it was. Because I felt ashamed. I felt, I felt so, oh, it gets so much worse, Simon. I felt like I had been ridiculed in front of people. Mm. Now, remember, I'm six foot two. Mm. I am bald. I am not quite built like a brick shit house, but I don't You're a big guy. look. I'm a big guy. I fill up space. Yeah. You're this, a lock in a rugby team. If you yeah. if you insist. Yeah. Um, this guy was maybe five eight. He was slight, and I did nothing um, aggressive. I did nothing in that respect. I did nothing that I am ashamed of. Mm. I didn't swear. I didn't raise my voice. I was really clear that I was not up for this, what I thought was banter. And I got off the train Mm. and Bob was with me. And I said, oh. Oh, so Bob was with you when it happened. Bob was with me. And Bob was behind him because I'd got up off the train, off the seat, and he'd come along really quickly and before Bob had, you know, so we weren't in lockstep. And then we caught up with each other. And I said, oh, Jesus, I'm so fucking angry right now. And she just put her hand on my arm and looked at me. And she said, he's neurodiverse, darling. <laughs> and of course he was. And I just had the moment of being tipped into a deep, deep well of shame where I realised that I hadn't been um, 
I hadn't been attuned to his lived experience because I, as a nearly 50-year-old fucking man who would choose to dress the way I was dressing, I was just so embarrassed that I couldn't see him. And I clocked... Uh, I I realised I was clocking at the periphery of this experience as I was getting off the train that two younger lads were laughing and I and that was turning up the tension for me because mm. I was thinking they're laughing at me and I went back to that like you know that little yeah, fat bullied yeah. boy yeah and of course Simon they weren't laughing at me they weren't laughing at me at all they were laughing at him mm. and so I just had this moment of feeling like such a failure as the kind of person I thought I was or I want to be, that I had contributed to um, to his lived experience of negativity in a neurotypical world where he had tried to have a moment of connection with somebody. Mm. But you're also, you're also asking a lot of yourself. Um, yeah, but I think I'm, you're, you know, I, um, because yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not looking, I'm not looking for absolution. And, and I'm not, I, I'm not I, trying to give you absolution. I'm just saying that it's, that's a complex, that is a complex situation you've just described. There isn't, there isn't a, there isn't a, there isn't a kind of clear sort of line or margin or story in there. It's a very no. complex psychological, um, social dynamic and situation you've just described. Yeah, I just, I just, uh, I just thought that, I, I was disappointed in myself that my mm. ego could be so fragile that that would upset me. Mm. And I, you know, yeah. Mm. Well, it's really, um, I mean, it just makes me, it, oh, it's, a, it's an amazing story, though. It's a really amazing story. And I, I so see myself in that, um, as I imagine people listening, you know, that's very simple thing when, you know the, the the sort of psychological hang-ups that each of us have, and you know, in a very particular situations where we feel so pushed, so kind of um, sort of electrified by uh, by a particular dynamic, and if that might be about the way you addressed or your ego, or however it is that you want to describe it. But yeah, really, oh, it's very, it's very complex what you've just described. Oh. So this is why I shouldn't be allowed out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was my first English train journey. uh, In a long time. Post-COVID. Really? Yeah, I've been on a train three times in Portugal, um, which I always find being in Portugal just easier for two reasons. One, I'm not really from there, so I don't really understand things. So it's further away from me. Yeah. And two, they still wear masks. <laughs> so it's just, oh, this is fine. Everybody's wearing a mask. I'm fine. Mm. Um, I, yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, so I think I'm, <laughs> maybe that's why I drove down to Cornwall. <laughs> yeah, I get oh, I'm going to hit stop recording. Okay, shall I do that? Yeah.